Let us turn now for our scripture reading to the Song of Solomon and the chapter 5. The book of the Song of Solomon, the fifth chapter. The Song of Solomon, chapter 5, commencing our reading at the verse 1. This is the word, the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, and the verse 1. I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse, I have gathered my mirth with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, For my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. I've put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? My beloved is put in his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels were moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with mirth my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchman that went about the city found me. They smote me, they wounded me, the keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if ye find my beloved, that ye tell him that I am sick of love. What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved, that thou does so charge us. My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousand. His head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies, dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with beryl. His belly is as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yea, he is all together lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. We now turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke and the chapter 24. Commencing reading of the verse 12, this is the account after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he appeared 
to his disciples, even now at even time. Luke 24, verse 12. Then arose Peter and ran to the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at the which was to was come to pass. Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another, as ye walk and are sat? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast thou not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. When they found not his body, they came, saying, that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses... And all the prophets he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is fast spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem found the eleven gathered together, them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. Amen. This is the word of the Lord, and may the Lord be pleased to bless that public reading 
of his precious word to our needful souls here this night. Let us pray. Well, dear congregation, dear friends, I ask you now to please turn your prayerful attention to the Song of Solomon that I read to you in your hearing those verses there in chapter 5. And I wish to direct your attention this evening to the verse 8 and to the verse 9. And uh, taking those verses from my text this evening, uh, the Shulamite, here speaking, to the daughters of Jerusalem, the Shulamite is the one who is in love with a great king. And of course, these things speak of Christ and the believer. Here, the believer speaking to the daughters of Jerusalem says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if ye find my beloved, that ye tell him that I am sick of love. And then they reply, What is thy beloved more than another beloved? O thou fairest among women, what is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou dost so charge us? It's quite clear, it seems to me from this passage, that the daughters of Jerusalem do not know the Savior as the Shulamite does. And I wish to take up this question this evening, the question of the daughters of Jerusalem to the Shulamite. What is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou should so charge us? Well, we may ask the question as we come to this passage, what is the Shulamite here who pictures the believer? What is she doing looking for her beloved? Well, here in the spiritual dimension, as I will seek to try and explain, this Song of Solomon is typical of the relationship between the believer and Christ, the believer between the believer and his Lord. And it seems that the believer has been somewhat backslidden. She was slothful, she went to sleep, she wasn't keeping watch waiting for her beloved, and he came to the door, and he quickly slipped away. And he draws away sometimes from the believer to make the believer yearn more for Christ. There are times, those of us who are Christians, we can testify, it seems that the Lord is far away. Job could say that in his own experience. I look to the left, I look to the right, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. It's sometimes true and can be said of the Christian. It's not that, in a sense, we are the ones that always draw away from him. And sometimes, to make us yearn more for him, he himself draws away for a little while. But I wish to take up this question because I think it's very helpful to those who are unbelievers. And they may be asking, what is so special about the Lord Jesus Christ? What is so unique about the Lord Jesus Christ? And in terms of the question here, what is thy beloved more than another beloved? Well, this is a very solemn thing because the Bible says, the Apostle Paul, 
under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. Do you hear those words? They couldn't be any more solemn. They couldn't be any more plain and sobering. Anathema means cursed. Let him be accursed. If any man does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Very solemn. Accursed forever. And if a man is cursed forever, it's forever. And we read the word there, Maranatha, even, it means even so come Lord Jesus. Even so come Lord. And so these are the most solemn and strongest possible terms that could ever be used to address the heart. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And the question I want you to ask this evening is, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? And very often it can be told by the things that people do and do not do. The Lord Jesus said, you will know people by their fruit. If somebody was very special that you were going to meet, you wouldn't arrive late to the meeting, would you? You wouldn't arrive late, you, you would be in earnest. You'd be desirous to hang on to every word that he would speak. And if we are the Lord's, we want to be here tonight. Because we want him to speak to our souls. Because we love him. Just as Mary sat at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus said to Martha. Thou art much cumbering. Cumbered about many things. But Mary has chosen the better part. And it cannot be taken away from her. That which she has cannot be taken away. Her desire was to hear all about Christ. Peter tells us that he is precious to them that believe. And so the question is here, she says to the daughters of Jerusalem, these are, and I will trust I will show you, these are merely professors, daughters of Jerusalem, as we will see in a moment. From the Song of Solomon. It's quite clear from these verses that as they say, What is thy beloved? Verse 9, more than another beloved. They admire her, O thou fairest among women. And well, she gives the answer. And if you notice in the verses that follow that we'll consider this evening, there are a number of things I want us to consider about the Lord Jesus Christ. Why he is altogether lovely. Why he is altogether precious. Why he is precious to believers. And if you believe, he is precious. And his word is precious. And as Paul said, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha, let him be accursed. Now, first of all, let's just say a few things by way of introduction. Before I say a few things about the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is about the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this. We have read 
didn't we, there from that passage in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24 that he expounded the Lord Jesus Christ, drew alongside those disciples. Remember, it was that resurrection day and they were downcast and he expounded all things. Notice beginning verse 27 of Luke 24, at Moses and all the prophets he expounded unto them in all the scriptures concerning himself. The Song of Solomon is given by God the Holy Spirit and these things speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. Solomon is not giving advice on marriage. In fact, he would be probably the last person from a human vantage point to give advice on marriage. The Song of Solomon is not about that. Solomon had many wives, and it was to his demise. Yes, Solomon spake many things by the Holy Spirit, but Solomon is not here giving advice on marriage. He is, by the Spirit, being directed concerning the things of Jesus Christ. This is not counsel on marriage. And there are many reasons I could give for that. But it should be plain and clear to us. That this Song of Solomon here is chiefly about the love. Because Solomon is a king. And it's typical. Solomon is the great king in the Song of Solomon. And he falls in love, as it were, with a poor Shilamite girl or woman. And she is a shepherdess as well as a vine keeper, as we will notice. But he is the great king, and what does a great king have to do with one who is poor and beggarly? We were thinking this morning of Mephibosheth, lame, very, we could say, Nothing impressive about him. Nothing impressive about the girl here. She says, I am black but comely in chapter 1. Black because the sun has darkened her skin. Why? Because she was tending not her own vineyard, but the vineyard of some of her family members. In other words, she was given responsibility. But you see there pictured in the believer's heart, the believer knows and understands that they never really keep their own heart as they should. The vineyard in the Song of Solomon pictures the believer's heart, a garden as well. And she is a shepherdess. And she longs. The interesting thing about this king here, Solomon, in the Song of Solomon, he also is a king and a shepherd. And there is no one else in the entire gamut of Scripture that fits the bill or fits the description as does the Lord Jesus, who is the shepherd king. We know from that Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul, and so on. He is the great king, and in the Song of Solomon, what you have is the king, who is Solomon, pictured, but who is symbolic or typical of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is asked of these daughters of Jerusalem, what is thy beloved? 
more than another, beloved, that thou should so charge us. And I've already read from that passage in Luke 24 that the Lord Jesus Christ expounded all things in the scriptures concerning himself to those doubting disciples. We should be as the Greeks appeared in the temple and say we would see Jesus. And I pray that tonight we would see the Lord. So first of all, this book is typical, but it is the inspired, infallible word of God. And remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said to the Jews in his day. Ye search the scriptures, and in them ye think ye have eternal life, but it is they which do testify of me. And John testified of the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't he? John the Baptist. Remember what John the Baptist said concerning our Savior. He said that he was not fit even to untie his shoe latchet. He said, one that will come after me. I baptize with water, but one that will come after me, I will baptize with fire. And that very one, I am not fit to untie his shoe latchet. And remember when the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, he spoke concerning the Queen of Sheba, who came to see Solomon in all of his greatness, in all of his wealth. And she said, the half was not told me. And when she saw it, she was amazed at the wisdom of Solomon. But remember, it was the Lord Jesus who said to the people in his day, and a greater than Solomon is here. Now, dear friends, we're speaking about one that is greater than Solomon when we come to this imagery. The Bible, as we are seeing in our studies midweek, in the book of the Revelation, is full of wonderful imagery. And here we see an almost allegorical form. The Lord Jesus Christ set before us and the love that the Christian has for the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you might be asking the same question that the daughters of Jerusalem ask, you Christians, what is Christ to you that he is more than another beloved in this world? Why is Jesus Christ so special to you? And I hope to answer that here this evening from what the Shulamite says. Of course, it is by the Holy Spirit that we are given this clear description of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So the question given by the daughters of Jerusalem. Now, let's just say a few things about the daughters of Jerusalem. If you turn to Song of Solomon chapter 2, you'll notice how the beloved, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, speaks concerning the daughters of Jerusalem. We read of the daughters of Jerusalem right at the beginning of the chapter. I won't waste time going through that. I say chapter 1. And we read his description of himself in verse 1. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. That is who the Lord Jesus is. He is the rose of Sharon. It is, uh, was the most exquisite rose in Sharon. It was rare. And he is as the lily of the valley. 
a most beautiful flower. Now notice what he says about his beloved church, about every believer. As I said, this Song of Solomon is all about the believer and Christ. And who is his beloved but the church and every true believer? As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. They're comparing the lily among thorns. The daughters are the thorns. The lily is the believer. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. And if you question who the love is, he goes on in chapter 3 to speak about his beloved bride and every true believer. And we could, could ask, how is it that the Lord sees every believer as a lily, as a beautiful, clean, white lily? Well, they are only comely in him. We know from Isaiah chapter 54 and the verse 17, the Lord says, and their righteousness is of me. The believer receives to himself or herself the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're told in the word of God, and this is how we shall be saved. Not our own righteousness, but by the righteousness of of him. Isaiah 54 verse 17 there, the Lord says, and their righteousness is of me. And how does he see his bride? Well, every believer is, true believer, is as the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. The daughters were merely empty professing people. Now, some say that the daughters were true believers. But you've then got a problem when you come to chapter 8, chapter 5 and the verse 8, where they say, What or who is thy beloved more than another beloved, that thou should so charge us? Well, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not precious to you. David Dixon, one of the old Scottish preachers, Upon his dying bed, he was asking in that dying hour what he was thinking and what he was doing. He said, quote, I am gathering all my good works and tying them into one bundle and throwing them down at the foot of the cross and resting on the finished work of Christ alone. And that's the believer. The believer is resting solely on Jesus Christ. You notice what she says about herself? In Song of Solomon, chapter 1, and uh, we read here, she says in verse 3, I am black but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. This is the problem. The sinner sees their own vineyard of their heart, and they see that they are but unkempt, and they are not fit before the Lord. Now this evening I want us to think, as we come here, 
to the believer. What does the believer think about Jesus Christ? What is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou should so charge us? And here we have it in the verse 10. Here's the answer down to the end of this passage. And we'll look at just some of them this evening. And I want to expound what the Holy Spirit gives Solomon as he expounds, not himself. For Solomon, remember, had many flaws. This cannot describe Solomon at all. But it describes the one who said a greater than Solomon is here. And who John bore testimony to, the Lord Jesus Christ. My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. Well, first of all, we read there white and ruddy. Here we're not talking about ethnicity or anything like that. We're not dealing with these things. We read of a great white throne, do we not? On that one day that we will all have to stand before Almighty God. God dwells in unapproachable Glorious light. We read that the saints will be clad with white robes, picturing purity, picturing holiness, picturing glory. Here we have set before us Christ's divinity and Christ's humanity. Think of it. My beloved is white and ruddy. Now you notice it says they're the chiefest among 10,000. Now if you notice in your margin of your Bibles and your authorized version and the authorized version translators were very faithful in doing this. You'll notice it says they're a standard bearer. That is who Christ really is. He is the chiefest among 10,000. That is he is the true standard bearer. He is God. God has his law. And God has kept his standards, has he not? God is holy. God cannot sin. And God was manifest in the flesh. He who the angels worshipped and adored when he was born in Bethlehem. Did not the angels worship him? He who came from the heavenly lights and the heavenly realm. And yet we read also he is ruddy. That is, he took on bone of our bones. And you think of it, his face was covered with blood and his back once lacerated. He who is very God, he who dwells in pure light became man and suffered in the flesh. And it reminds us here, but not only is he white, but he is ruddy. Literally the word Edom, where we get the word Edomite from. He was man. It's amazing, isn't it? That this very one who is God, who said, let there be light, who created light, took to himself that which is man. And when we think of man, we, we, we sang 
didn't we, from Psalm 8, what is man that thou art mindful of him? What is man? He is but a breath. Man that is formed from the dust. God formed man from the dust. Adam, from dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. But he took on. The apostle tells us our nature, our likeness. Here it speaks of his humanity. And the chiefest, verse 10, be of 10,000. There's not a single person. And here it's, it's euphemism. It's what we call euphemism. It's an expression. As I said, the Hebrew word here actually translated has a, has a dual meaning. It really means standard bearer. He, he is the true standard of what man should be. What was man made? Man was made in the image of God. God said, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, let us make man in our image. And here is the perfect image. Here is one who truly manifested God the Father. Remember what he said, Father, I have manifested thy name to whom those that thou hast given me. In the fullness of time he came and he fully reflected the glory of God in terms of his life. I have manifested thy name. God's name is his character. Yet, he was ruddy, taking our nature, not a sinful nature. But he knew what it was to hunger and to thirst. He knew what it was to be tempted at the normative points. There was no late, what we call latent sin in him. He said, when the prince of the power of the air cometh, he has nothing in me. There's nothing in, in me that he, he could ever tempt me with. But Christ was tempted externally. That is, the devil said, why don't you speak to these stones and make them bread? Of course, he could do that because he's God. But he became man for us, his people. And he suffered. And he died. He is white and yet ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousands, the standard bearer, the true standard bearer, the perfect man, the God man, Christ Jesus. You know, I often say to people, he is the only 200% person because he is fully God and fully man. 100% God and 100% man. The two natures in one, we call it the hypostatic union. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, again, you notice something else about him. This is a, would be a strange figure, I suppose, if we imagine this figure here. Literally. But it's meant to convey real spiritual meaning, friends, to us. And I pray the Lord will open up eyes. His head is as the most fine gold. When we think of this, gold in the Old Testament always signified divinity and glory. Consider the ark was made with shittim wood, but it was overladen with gold. And everything, most things in the, in the temple were overladen with the, notice here, most fine gold, purified 
Time after time, no, no dross, no spot in it. And his head, and here we're thinking about the Godhead chiefly, because God is one and yet in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And his head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy. Think of it. What does age do? We lose our hair, don't we? We either go bald or we lose hair or we go gray. But here the hair is as black as a raven. It it, it speaks to the fact that there is no decay in him. Why does decay come to a man? Why? Because of sin. People either go bald or they go gray or they dye their hair. The Bible tells you to grow old gracefully, my friends. And uh, we shouldn't be ashamed of that. It's an honor to grow old gracefully. But here we're looking at one who doesn't age. We see him in the book of the Revelation with hair as white as wool. Yet the same person. There it's speaking of the ancient of days. But here, there's no decay in him. This is what makes him altogether lovely, because there was no sin in him. You know, people ask the question, would Christ have lived on forever where he had not been put to death? Well, there's no ifs. Let me just stop you right there. Never get into that foolish argument. It, you know, the apostle tells us to avoid Such genealogies and vain conversation. Don't get into arguments like that. The Bible simply tells us that he took on sinful flesh. That means he took on an aging body. He was born into this world as a babe and he he grew up, no doubt. But whatever he had was not because of some sin in him. But here it's speaking, where is he? He lives forevermore. He was dead, but is now alive forevermore. And he said, and I have the keys of hell and death. His hair as black as a raven. Here pictures the very fact that he does not age. The head as gold, his glory and his Godhead. His locks are bushy. It signifies that there is health. Is there not perfect health in the Lord Jesus? Is he not almighty? Is he not the one who gives life? I am come, did he not say, to give abundant life? To give life more abundantly to his people? And I am come, but it was all through his death, wasn't it? That he came to give life. Now you notice something else. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? What makes the Lord Jesus so precious to us? We've had, verse 10 and 11, his divinity, his glory set before us. But I want you to notice something here. His love. Not only is he God, But he is the God of love, and he loves his people. He loves them with an everlasting love. We read here, and his eyes are as the eyes of doves. 
Now, if you know anything about doves, they speak about doves a lot. Usually doves, they have a partner. And it's said of most doves, if one dies, they never take on another partner for life. And if you ever watch doves, when they look at each other, they will sit in a tree and look at each other. Well, the Lord, he says, does he not, in Song of Solomon chapter 2, notice, he speaks concerning his, his church and his, his people. And uh, he speaks of his bride in uh, chapter 2. I want you to notice, after he brings her, the believer, into the banqueting house, and sheds his love on her. It says in the verse 8, The voice of my beloved, behold, the voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall, and so on. And you read on verse 10, My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle, or the turtle dove, is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Now notice verse 14. Oh, my dove. That's how the Lord sees his people. As doves have a partner. The Lord has a people. He has a bride that he has purchased with himself. And he says to her, Oh, my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock. Remember, as Moses saw the glory of God, God said, hide in the cleft of the rock, and thou wilt see my glory. I will cause my glory to pass before thee. And friends, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God shows himself in the very person of the Lord Jesus, and he says, O my dove, let me hear thy voice. Thou who art hidden in the cleft of the rock, Christ is that cleft. He is the rock of our salvation, and we hide, as it were. We sometimes sing in that hymn, I'm hiding in thee, thou blessed rock of ages. I'm hiding in thee. Top lady, we often sing that lovely hymn of his. Sometimes we sing, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. And so we see these Dove's eyes, my beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousand. His head is the most fine gold, his locks as bushy, and as black, black as a raven. And then we read his eyes as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters. And you think about it, here is the one who is omniscient and knows everything about the believer. And yet he loves the believer. Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. 
And it's amazing that God should look upon us as believers. And there is love. His eyes were as the eyes of doves and the rivers of waters washed with milk and fitly set. Now think of it. Elsewhere in the scriptures, in the book of the Revelation, we're told that he has eyes as a flame of fire, omniscient eyes, and all-seeing. And yet when he beholds his church, and when he beholds the believer, the one who loves him and admires him, he has dove's eyes for that one. Why? Because they're accepted in the beloved. Because... The Father sees all of the merits of his Son placed upon every true believer. That's wonderful. Everyone that is born again receives the righteousness of Christ. The gift of God is eternal life through him. And this is why Christ is so lovely to us. Because we know God does not look upon our sins so much but he looks upon the one who bore our sin. We who believe, he bore our sins in his own body. This is why he is more precious than anything else in the whole world, friends. This is why Christ is glorious. He, his eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters. Washed with milk and fitly set, beautifully and wonderfully placed. They are eyes of love for his people. Now something else, you notice his countenance, not just his look of love to his people. You know, who is the Lord Jesus? He is the friend of sinners. Remember what he said, all that come. The apostle tells us, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, All that the Father gives me shall come unto me, and he that comes unto me I shall in no wise cast out. These are not eyes to cast out, but to behold in love. Remember as he looked at Peter, though Peter had sinned, it was a look of love, wasn't it? Though he had sinned, he loved him. And we're told he loved his own even unto the end. Something else, his countenance is always friendly to his people. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? And people have their beloveds in this world. People have their idols. People have their gods. People even have their own savior. People make themselves to be their own savior. But they can't do anything for you, can they? Man can't do anything for himself. And people may have idols. People may have their houses. People may have their cars. People may have this. But what can those idols do for a man? They're not gods. They cannot speak. They cannot tell you the future. They cannot do anything. They didn't make this world. But he made this world. And you notice... His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies, dropping sweet, smelling myrrh, or 
sweet, dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. Now you notice there, it's a countenance that is always friendly and pleasant. This God is kind. He is the friend of sinners. They that turn to him will always find him to be the faithful friend. He said, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He didn't turn away those who came to him. Always ready to hear. He is a God at hand. Cheeks that are better spices. You know, often... When you talk to people, you you can see how their spirit is just by their countenance, can't you? And and, and you know when the Lord has saved somebody. We had a a man, my, some years ago. When the Lord saved him, that man's whole countenance changed. We said something is completely, he's not the same person. And everybody that is saved has a joy. Just as Moses, when Moses went in to meet with the Lord, remember how his countenance shone and there was a a glow about him, and it is with Christ. He who could dash the world to hell. See how he is. You read the Song of Solomon, how kind he is to her every time when she draws near. And the Lord is kind. The Lord is good. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? Our relationship with God is real. It's not a figment of the imagination. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, my friend. Not good people. He receives sinners. When Saul was struck down on the road to Damascus, who was persecuting the church, the Lord addressed him, said, Why persecutest me, thou me, Saul? He was persecuting the church. And he was persecuting Christ. But did Christ judge him? No. He came to save Saul of Tarsus. He came into the world to save sinners. And those who come to him, will find that he is gracious. Of course, they come to him by the ministry of his word and by the Spirit of God drawing them. My friend, let me encourage you tonight. The Lord Jesus does not cast away the truly penitent sinner, but he receives him graciously. You think you could Call yourself the chief of sinners, as Paul Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. Why, Paul? Why? Because I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. So he receives sinners. And there's always a smiling countenance. Even in our lives, we may go through difficult times, unbeliever. We as Christians, and yet behind every dark providence, behind every cloud, there's a smiling face. He orders everything because he's God. And everything is working out for our good. We're told in Scripture that God spared not his only begotten Son, but delivered him up for us all, all who believe 
And the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8 that God is working all things together for good to them that love him, to them that are called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose, Paul? Well, he tells us that we should be conformed to the image of God's Son. And that is the most amazing thing. He that is altogether lovely and wonderful, one day we will be with him and we shall be like him. You know, we're not just saved from the wrath that is to come, but we are saved to be like God's dear Son one day. This is why he is altogether lovely. Now I want you to notice his omnipotence, and it's set forth in various Ways here in figures, his hands are as gold rings set with beryl. These are all elements and and, and figures of power and strength. His belly is as bright ivory, overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble. Marble could carry great weight and strength, friends. He carries the whole weight of this world, of this universe. Where is he now? He has sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God on high, the Father. And he is unloosing the scrolls. There is none worthy to unloose the scrolls but Jesus Christ. These things, we could spend a long while on them. Yet, notice verse 16, his mouth is most sweet. What we have here is... One who is omnipotent, but one who is so gentle and so sweet, has the power to cast men into hell. All power and authority is given to him, and yet he speaks such a sweet word to those who are his. Come, my dove. Let me hear thy voice. What is the voice? It's the voice of repentance. Friend, all of Christ's people will repent and believe upon him. And all of Christ's people will see him as Peter says, he is precious to them that believe. And that's the question I pose to you tonight. What think ye of Christ? That's the big issue. And if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul says, by the Spirit, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema, maranatha. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Why should you love him? Because he's God. And you have broken his laws. You have sinned against him time without number. And God is to be loved because God alone is pure and just and right. And if he were to cast you into hell, it would only be right. It would only be just. But his word is sweet. And he is sweet to all who believe upon him. And see him for what he is the friend of sinners. Solomon couldn't plead anything. David couldn't plead anything. Abraham, Isaac, Moses, nobody could plead any righteousness 
before God, but only the righteousness of God which is through Jesus Christ. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? He is all together, notice, lovely. God is love, but God is lovely, isn't he? In the person of his son, Jesus Christ. She says, this is my beloved. In chapter 2, verse 16, my beloved is mine, and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies. That's where he feeds. That's where he feeds his flock. They say to him in chapter 1, Where is he? And then she's looking for him. And then she wants to know where he feeds his flocks. He's the king. Well, he will be found of them that earnestly seek him. My dear friend, and what you will discover is that it was God ultimately seeking you all the while. May God Be pleased to work through his word and bring you to the beauties and the love of Jesus Christ that we find in all of his wonderful person. May we also say, he is altogether lovely. My beloved is mine and I'm his. It's not the language of profession. My beloved is mine, but I'm his. It's the language of possession. I'm his. My whole being, my whole life, that's a Christian. I'm afraid there are a lot of people that say I'm a Christian. And they will say, Lord, Lord, we did this in thy name, that in thy name. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. You never possessed me. And you never truly were mine because you live for yourself in this world. My beloved is mine, and I am his. May he make many his, even this night, by his grace. Amen.